Well, good morning again, everyone. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter 4. And uh, before I get started in on the passage this morning, I want to reveal a new truth to you. This is brand new, um, revealed just this week, in fact. And uh, we've, got a, we've got a picture here, if we want to we put that up. So you're saying, there's, there's a picture of Pluto, what's so new about this? Well, this is the closest picture that has ever been taken of Pluto when uh, the New Horizons spacecraft flew by it uh, about a month and a half ago, and they've been transmitting pictures back every, ever since. And um, this is the newly reveal, revealed truth of what the surface of Pluto looks like. They only had uh, speculations and some far off hazy pictures of Pluto because it's a really long way away. <laughs> um, and you guys know me, I'm, I'm kind of into space and all that stuff, so I thought I'd, I'd work that into my sermon this morning, but no. Um, the, uh, the cool thing about this, you're looking at this kind of icy ball of rock there, and for, uh, for perspective, what you're looking at there is about the same size as the United States. Um, and all that ice isn't water ice. Scientists have determined that that's all frozen methane and carbon dioxide. That's all dry ice. It's not water ice. <laughs> and uh, there's some speculation that it may be all floating around on uh, liquid nitrogen. All this stuff is really cool to me because this has never been seen before. And uh, if you're looking at this picture now, you're probably within the first million or so people to ever see this picture. So you're, uh, you're in pretty privileged status because um, not everybody uh, follows you know, the NASA website. I don't have exact numbers and, and how you rank on first people to see this picture, but this is brand new. This is just released this week, a few days ago, um, the closest picture ever taken of Pluto and the most detailed. Now, how does this fit in with my sermon? Well, we're talking today about the warning about apostates, about false teachers, and these are pe people that commonly come into the church, um, and we're, we're going to see warnings against them revealing new truth, or uh, which really amounts to lies, because what's, we have the Word of God. It says we have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. So if you hear a preacher from the pulpit saying that he's giving you new truth about the Word of God, well, you can be pretty sure that he's a, he's a liar, you have a scientist giving you new truth about a planet, though, you may, may take that seriously. That may be actually something new. But uh, as far as the Word of God goes, I'm not here to say anything new to you this morning. I'm here to speak what's in the Word of God and has been revealed for quite some time. So let's take a look in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to go ahead and just read the first five verses that we'll be talking about today. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So that's what we're going to talk about today. 
We just got done talking about the qualifications, the character qualifications for elders and deacons, the things that were necessary for the men who are leading the church and character attributes that we should all say, yes, those are the things that I see that are blessed by God, and those are character attributes that I want to be true of my own life. And so we've, uh, we've spent quite a few weeks um, looking at elders and deacons, and we go straight from talking about the qualifications of elders and deacons, where it talks about them um, knowing and defending the truth. And right here, the next passage is on Latter, in latter times, some were going to come spreading lies. So the, um, the role of the elders, uh, or one, I should say one of the roles of elders, is to be watching out for lies creeping into the church. And that's how this passage ties directly into what we've just been talking about um, over the last chapter in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So, um, so let's dig into the, the verses a little deeper. In verse 1, it says, now the Spirit expressly says, and uh, we were having a, a conversation with this the other night, um, uh, Luke and Don and I were talking about it, and we're like, what does it mean that the Spirit expressly says? Um, I think of, uh, when I think of express, I might think of the express lane in the supermarket, you know, get through quick. <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's that the Spirit is saying, saying it quickly. He doesn't want us to skip over this part quick. What he's saying is, this is said... Um, plainly, distinctly, urgently, is what the Spirit is expressly saying to Paul and uh, through Paul to Timothy. And so what is the Spirit saying? It says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So that's kind of the, the title or the, the, the thesis statement for this whole part um, he says, look out, the false teachers are coming, the people spreading lies and deceiving people, it's coming. It's not an, uh, this might happen, it's for sure, this is coming, and this is a warning Paul is giving to the church. And uh, if you look throughout the Bible, um, or throughout uh, the New Testament rather, um, Paul warns this specific church in Ephesus that Timothy's at. He warns them several times. He warns them here. Um, he warns them in Acts 20, uh, which I'm going to read here in a second. And he also warns them again in 2 Timothy, uh, I believe in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he also warns them again against the false teachers appearing um, soon, soon to come. So let me... Uh, Read the bit from Acts chapter 20, because this also uh, adds to the weight of the warning that Paul is giving. Uh, and if you go into Acts 20, you'll see the context is he's speaking directly to uh, the church at Ephesus. And he says in Acts 20, 28 through 30, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood." For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day 
with tears. So again, this passage emphasized the very seriousness of this warning to the churches. And we know that this doesn't just apply to the church at Ephesus. It applies to every church. That's why God included it in his word. And Paul says uh, at the end of that passage, he says, remember that for three years, three whole years, Paul says, I warned you about this with tears. This is something that's very serious to the Lord's heart and to Paul's heart. He says, look out. People are coming who will not be speaking the truth. And he says, and some will come in like wolves from outside and do their damage coming in from the outside. And then if you look in um, verse 30, it says, also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after themselves. So it's a two-pronged attack that the church is always subject to. People from within suddenly saying perverse things and people coming in from outside like wolves to tear at and ravage the flock. And this passage in Acts that I just read, Paul's speaking directly to the overseers. And it's interesting in, in Timothy, um, like, I, like I mentioned, we're talking in the, we're in the passage immediately following the charge to overseers and to the leaders of the church. Immediately following that, we get, again, a warning against false teachers. So um, I hope I'm getting the, the idea across that this is a very dire warning that Paul is making to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus, saying, look, these people are coming. So let's look and see what these people, these false teachers or apostates um, are, are doing. So an apostate is someone who at one point in time says they agree with all the fundamental tenets of the faith, um, all the doctrines, all the um, things that the church holds on to, the, um, the deity of Christ, um, the fact, the, um, the entire gospel, right, that Christ came, uh, was born, uh, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, uh, died for our sins on the cross at Calvary, was buried three days, rose again, and now sits at his Father's right hand. Um, this is the gospel, right? And apostates say that they agree with all of these things, or at one point in their life, they say that they agree with all these things. But then... Later on, even though they know what the truth is, and they have at one point said that they agree with the truth, later on, they start spreading a teaching that is not the truth, does not align with the gospel, does not align with the basic tenets of the faith. And the way that you know that they're apostate for sure is if they hold themselves up in opposition to the leadership in the church and make it so that they want people to follow after them. Not, they can't just be silent about whatever lie they believe. They have to spread it. They feel uh, burdened or, or uh, called upon to spread this lie and to draw other people away after themselves. So that's how you can really tell uh, that someone's an apostate. If they're spreading something that's not true and trying to get people to follow after them, you know, okay, Red flags here. This person's not actually speaking the truth. 
And um, we see clearly from the Scripture that these people are not saved. These are people that the Lord uh, would say afterwards, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, So, I don't want to get into any confusion of people's mind thinking, oh, um, these people are Christians who are truly saved and love the Lord, and somehow they get bent and they go leading people astray. It's clear from the Scriptures that these people never actually knew the Lord. Um, For someone, and of course there are Christians who do generally know the Lord, that um, it says of them, right, concerning their faith, they consider they suffer shipwreck, right? They've been uh, rendered ineffective as a Christian, or, or um, uh, they're no longer walking as a Christian should. Um, but that's different than what we're talking about as an apostate. An apostate is someone who did not know the Lord, never knew the Lord, and is trying to subvert people from the truth. And that's a, that's a ditch, different situation um, than someone who knows the Lord and has, has, walked, has walked away from the church. So it says of, it says of the apostates in um, the end of verse 1, it says, "...they're giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons." In other words, they're giving... Uh, heed to lies, things that are not true. And there's, um, there's so many examples of this. I, d- I obviously don't have time to go through all of them, but I'm not going to really touch on uh, very many of them um, because I don't want to stand here from the pulpit repeating all th- sorts of things that aren't true. We're here, to, we're here to talk about the truth, but it's good to know that um, what we have here in the Word of God is true. Um, there's a, um, an analogy that I once heard that really rings true. Um, how do you teach a bank teller when they're getting cash in from everyone? How, does, how do you spot a counterfeit? How do you spot the bill that is not real U.S. currency? Well, you don't give them lots of fake stuff to f- say, oh, yeah, this one's fake and this one's fake. You have them repeatedly handle and feel the thing that's real, the truth. And that way... Anytime they're going through, handing out real money, real money, real money, real money, oh, that one doesn't feel right. That one's fake. They can tell right away because they know what the true thing is. So that's, that's how, we, how you detect a lie is because you have to know the truth first. But the, the false teachers, it says they believe the lies that the devil and his forces have spread in the world. And there's... Many examples um, of the cults that we see today, of um, legalistic doctrines, um, things that subvert and draw attention away from who Christ really is and what the gospel is really all about. And as I mentioned before, it's not that they just believe these lives. They take upon themselves the task of spreading these untruths. They can't be silent about them. And they're, as it were, joining forces with the devil. They're on his side, spreading, spreading these lives, sorry, spreading these lies. Um, and their impact can be very detrimental to the church. Um, there's repeated warnings throughout the New Testament. Um, 
where Paul talks about the importance of unity in the church and holding fast to the truth um, and not allowing disputes over things to divide a church. And we saw uh, even at the beginning of the book, um, Luke talked about this uh, right at the beginning of 1 Timothy, where it talks about there's endless disputes over genealogies and, um, and laws and so on and so forth. That just the, the dissent and the disagreement about these things just never goes away. Someone keeps bringing it back up again. And he says, don't, don't get involved in all of this. Don't get involved in disputes about uh, non-essential things that, pe- so, that people are trying to get uh, the church to choose sides on. You know, well, what do you think about uh, the, uh, this particular doctrine? Are you, do you agree with it? Do you only partially agree with it? Okay, well, if you agree with it, you're on this side of the room. If you don't agree with it, you're on the other side of the room, right? And it just, it starts to... Uh, cause divisions within the church. And Paul says, look, you've got to be careful about these things because these are lies that are put forth by the devil and the the demons. And they're incredibly destructive to the church. And he he says also of these... uh, False, these apostates, he says they speak lies and hypocrisy. You can tell, one of the ways you can tell, and it's not always true, but one of the ways you can tell that they're lying is because they'll say one thing and do another. Um, and I think of a lot of uh, examples we have in the world of, um, of preachers who will say, give lots of money to the church and you'll be happy and the Lord will reward you um, a hundredfold, say, for money that you give to the church. Well, it doesn't say in, anywhere in the Bible that the Lord will give you back money for money that you give to the church. But there are people that preach this and say, give to the Lord and you'll, and you'll get wealth yourself. We, we call that the, the prosperity gospel. And you can often see the pastors at the churches that promote this living in huge houses and driving expensive cars and so on and so forth. And you're starting to think, hmm, I think maybe he's asking for everyone to give money to the church to finance his lifestyle rather than to finance the work of the Lord. We'd call that man a hypocrite, wouldn't we? And so it's, it's one of the, the marks. In verse 2 it says, speaking lies and hypocrisy. That's a, a prime il- illustration of that. And it says of these men, it says they having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And the uh, the picture there is really a graphic one. If someone, you can imagine a red hot iron being pressed against someone's skin and burning it and scarring it so badly that they can't feel anything from that again. And you know that that happens all over the all the time in accidents. But you can just imagine, it's not their, their hand or arm or something like that that's been seared. It's their very conscience, the very thing that's supposed to be listening to the, the inner promptings of right and wrong, truth and lie. And it says that that member 
of themselves is seared. It no longer has any feeling to tell a difference between a, a tr- between the truth and a lie. And this is only true of someone who is constantly repeating a lie because it's that repeat searing that deadens the, uh, deadens the effect uh, of the conscience. It's, uh, it's something akin to what happened to Pharaoh's heart when... Um, Pharaoh, when Moses came to Pharaoh and says, the Lord says, let my people go, right? And it says at first that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says that several times in the book of Exodus, if you go back and look. It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it finally says, and the Lord hardened his heart. In other words, that searing of Pharaoh's conscience to know the right thing to do was finally complete. And there was nothing that could persuade him to listen to what the Lord had to say to him anymore. And you see what devastating effects that wrought upon Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt with the plagues, uh, the death of the firstborn son, and uh, ultimately the destruction of Pharaoh and his entire army in the Red Sea because his, his conscience was seared. And the same thing is true of the apostates. They've been repeat, repeating the lies for so long that their consciences are seared. They're no longer listening to what's right and what's wrong. And it gives uh, examples of two common lies um, that, are, that are taught. And there's lots of examples of this uh, in the world today. It says in verse 3, um, the first common lie is uh, forbidding to marry. And uh, you can see this um, in institutions such as uh, like a, a monastic institution where they say, look, join, our, join the, the monks. You'll be granted increased access to God because of your lifestyle, because you've decided to put away all these worldly things and hold yourself a celibate. Obviously, you'll be closer to God if you just do these things. Right? Well, <laughs> Jesus said, there's one way to the Father, and that's through me. He didn't say, you have to live a celibate lifestyle, and you have to only eat three cold meals a day, or any of these other things that you might hear t- taught. There's one way to God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth. So if someone's saying, look, you know, to be closer to God, you shouldn't get married, that's a lie. And these, uh, these liars are downplaying the God-given institution of marriage and the holy and beautiful thing that it is. And they're cutting away something that God gave mankind for, for our benefit, and they're cutting it away and trying to promote increased spiritualism or whatever. Well, it's uh, very clearly a lie and very clearly detrimental to the church, and you can um, see, you know, all the the scandals um, that have happened among, you know, celibate, close to God communities. All these scandals are happening because the people really believe a lie that they can be closer to God because of their actions and what they're doing. Um, now, you might say, 
Well, Sam, what about 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about uh, he, de- he desires that all men might be single as he is, right? What, what about that passage? Well, Paul gives, if you go and read that passage, Paul gives a very balanced approach to that. He says, yes, someone who's married does have all the distractions that come with being married and the, the cares of his wife and, the, and for his family and so on. But then a little bit later, he says, uh, if, if a person is burning with passion, he says it's clearly better for them to marry than to burn with passion. Well, what's he saying? He's, he's saying that if someone has the desire to be married, and that de- desire, that desire as well can be a distraction that can cause all sorts of perversions. If you're trying to just keep yourself away from marriage or anything like that, that can lead to all sorts of perversions. And he says those things are clearly worse than being married and being in a, in a loving, uh, uh, God-given marriage. Um, that's a beautiful thing. So there's, there's uh, what Paul's saying is there's traps on both sides. A person can be so uh, consumed with the, with the thoughts and cares of life that they're not effective for the Lord, but they can also be so consumed with thoughts and fantasies about being married that they're also not effective for the Lord. <laughs> so um, that's a good passage to look at, and it doesn't in any way um, promote the idea that no one should get married to be closer to God. That's not what that passage is saying. So the, uh, the emphasis is uh, on this issue that's an example of one of the common lies is know the truth, know what the Bible says about it. Um, and there's plenty of passages um, in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and so on and so forth that talk about what marriage is a picture of. A marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, right? It's a beautiful thing that God has... In- uh, made an institution since Adam and Eve, since the very first people. So know what the truth is, know what the Bible says about marriage, and don't be deceived by anyone that says it's wrong to be married or forbids people from being married. And second of all, in verse 3, we also see that there's the trap um, where they, the Apostates command to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So this is a, a very complicated issue, and it's come up time and time again in the church. Um, there's been certain uh, Judaizers, right, that said, well, you know, the Christians must believe in Christ, but you must keep all the tenets of the Old Testament, you know, not eating pork and so on and so forth. Um, and that's certainly a lie and a trap of legalism, but it doesn't seem to be what Paul's directly addressing with this passage. It seems from this passage that Paul's more uh, addressing the uh, common issues of um, promoting, you know, fast from, from certain foods um, so that you might be perceived as more spiritual if you only eat fish on a certain month or, um, you know, uh, you can think of the, the Muslims with their fast of Ramadan, right, where they don't eat all day and they believe that they're somehow closer to God be- because they uh, only eat 
after the sun's gone down or before the sun comes up. It's clearly a lie. There's, no, there's nothing in Scripture that gives us um, a solid principle of you know, fasting for a month and not eating during the daytime or, or any other of numerous um, lies about what you can and can't eat or when you, can't, uh, when you can or can't eat something. Um, it's, all, it's all bringing in legalism and you can see how someone who says, well, you know, um, I'll just make something up right off, the, right off the cuff here. You know, you should only, uh, the only meat you should eat is fish in the month of May, right? I'm just m- making this up off the, and you can see how someone might say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible that s- says this. And then the, f- the false person saying, well, there's clearly a way that you can, you know, twist this verse that says, and you can see how, you know, this is going to cr- create a degree- disagreement. And then certain people might say, you know, the guy that talks about not eating fish during the month of May, you know, I can kind of see his point here, right? And he, and he starts to deceive people. And before you know it, you've got a, a much larger disagreement on your hands. And I, I know that was kind of a, a silly example I made up there. Um, but the point is, is that there's disagreements that can ar- arise if you're not on the watch for people lying about, <laughs> about these matters. And so let's look at the truth. And let's turn our, uh, you can follow along on the screen if you want, in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 15 through 19, um, Jesus is talking um, to, the, uh, to the Pharisees and the leaders that are complaining about him not following um, certain customs. And Jesus said to them, he says, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. So, to kind of put that into today's English, Lord Jesus is saying, look, if you eat something, it goes into your stomach, and later it's eliminated. It doesn't ever enter your heart. The Lord looks at what's in your heart, and your... uh, um, your heart is that part of your being which loves the Lord, which knows the truth, which holds all the values that you hold on to. And I'm not talking about the physical muscle, obviously. Um, but your heart is what um, holds on to all the core values that you as a person hold on to. And he says, if you've got a uh, right values in your heart, you're pure. If you have a corrupted value in your heart, that's what causes you to be defiled. Um, there's also, um, if you think, in the book of James, he talks about um, the mouth and what comes out of a, mouth, a man's mouth ought always be pure and undefiled. And he says, can a, a spring bring forth both salty water and fresh water? Right? No. And in the same way, our mouths should always give um, uplifting and encouraging speech. And speaking the truth and love, that's the way our speech should always be. In the same way, what comes out of our heart, our actions, our thoughts, our speech, 
All of those things should be pure, not defiled, because you're defiled spiritually by the things that come out of your heart. Wrong, uh, if your heart is defiled, you'll see that evidenced as wrong actions and wrong thoughts and so on and so forth. The Lord says that has nothing to do with food. Food goes into your stomach. It's not part of your spiritual center. So, and it says this, this idea, it says, thus purifies all food. It doesn't matter what you eat. And we, if we uh, flip back and look at 1 Timothy here, in verse 4, it says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. In other words, if whatever food it is is put in front of you, and you thank the Lord for it and bless it, that's good food. <laughs> it may not taste good, but that's a different story. <laughs> but it won't spiritually defile you. Whatever that is on that, <laughs> whatever that is before you, you're saying, Lord, I take this food as something that you've provided for me, no matter what it is. It says that thing is not spiritually defiling to you. And then in verse uh, 5, in 1 Timothy 4, 5, it says, For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So two things. Um, it's sanctified by the word of God. Well, how is it sanctified by the word of God? Well, I just read the passage from Mark where the Lord Jesus says, there's no, there's no food that can defile a man. Because, uh, as previously mentioned, so there's the word of God saying, look, this food is set apart by the Word of God. doesn't matter what it is. It's set apart as, as, good, for, uh, as good for food and not spiritually defying, defiling to eat. And it also says, um, sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. So what does it mean for food to be sanctified by prayer? Well, you know that custom that we always do before we sit down to a meal and we bow our heads and fold our hands and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this food. Please bless it to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. And a lot of people, that's kind of a rote thing, and you may have some variation on it. But um, the reason that started in the first place is because of these verses. And to us, it can become a habit, but we forget that there's a spiritual reality going on there as well. We're saying, Lord, thank you for this food. We're receiving it as, as something that's good that's coming from you. And the Lord says that it's sanctified by that prayer. Now, it doesn't mean that the food becomes holy or somehow spiritual beneficial. It's still food. You know, it's still just a steak and broccoli. Um, but uh, it's, it's set apart in, in that you've given thanks for it. You, you are thankful in your heart to God for that food. And so it's not, you know, set apart for salvation or set apart as, you know, spiritually beneficial or anything like that, but it's set apart by the very fact that you thank the Lord for it um, and, are, and are grateful for it. That's the real thing that's precious uh, in the Lord's eyes. He would, <laughs> he would much rather that we be thankful for those things that we, uh, we receive than not be thankful for them. 
So the next time you, uh, or lunch right after the meeting, when you bow your head to give thanks, if it seems a bit habitual, remember that you're actually um, partaking of spiritual goodness by thanking the Lord and receiving that food with thanksgiving. And that does, uh, <laughs> that does you far more spiritual good than uh, whatever it is, anything from uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever food it is. Um, it doesn't matter. All right. So that's the passage we're talking about today. What are we supposed to learn from all of this? Well, first of all, um, as we looked at at the beginning, we're supposed to be on guard against people spreading false, do- false doctrines. We're always supposed to be vigilant. It's not just the elders, although Paul does give them that special charge member in, in Acts 20, but it's not just the elders that are supposed to be on the lookout for lies in the church. We all have to be v- vigilant about... Um, people detracting from the truth in the church. And it says you have to be watchful for the wolves coming in from outside or from people within uh, spreading lies and detracting from the Lord's message. There's no new truth. There's no, um, there's no new revelation to man. If anyone cl- comes to you claiming that they have some new truth, something that the Lord has delivered to him or her personally, that if it disagrees with what's in the Bible, it's not true. It's a lie. If someone's trying to introduce in legalism that contradicts what the Bible says, um, trying to uh, redefine or forget, forbid against marriage or say that you can't eat certain foods or, um, or any one of a number of activities, we ought to be carefully comparing those things that they're saying to the Word of God. We have the truth. Make sure to know it so that we're not deceived when those false teachers come. And most importantly, remember, it's not if those people will come, it's when. Lord, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, it says the times to follow after. And we know um, from the history of the Ephesian church, I mean, look at the, uh, look at the letter in uh, Revelation to the Ephesian church. Right? Warnings again. We can see the progression and know that it didn't take very long for the devil and his associates to be after the church. And it's certainly true of any body of believers. The devil's always trying to tear down what the Lord is building up. Uh, and he's been, <laughs> he's been doing that since Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He's always trying to tear down what the Lord is building up, and it's not any different today than it was back then. Um, it doesn't even record in Genesis how long it took <laughs> for Satan to start talking to Eve. And I don't, you know, I don't know how long it was after Adam and Eve were created that uh, Satan was down there deceiving Eve, but I don't imagine it was very long. And the same is is true, Paul warns, he says, look, times are coming when these apostates will be spreading their lies in the church. It's coming. And um, if we think back even in the history of this church, there's been people in our midst or coming in from outside that have tried to spread 
lies within the church. Um, so we're, we're not foreign. You know, it's not like we're sitting here this morning saying, oh yeah, that's never happened to us. No, it, it has happened here. Um, there's been plenty of instances and uh, we're, we're grateful to the elders um, for watching and being vigilant for that. And we're grateful also for the, um, all the teaching that we receive here that teaches us the truth and warns us about it uh, or, or about the lies. And uh, again, know the, know the real thing. Um, you might think of a, a lie as a little bit like a fire. And I'll make a small one here. You can see this lighter. Lies are best kept very far away. It's when you get a flame close to yourself, right, that it becomes dangerous. And that's about as close as I want to get this flame to me, <laughs> about half an arm's length. I don't want to get any closer to this because I'm worried I might be burned. In the same way, don't flirt with lies. Don't give heed to the false things. Um, Lord talks about, can a, can a man take f- uh, fire into his bosom and not be burned? And he's using that as an illustration uh, for something different in that passage, but it's still true. Don't take a lie close to you. Don't entertain it. Don't think about, oh, maybe. If, if it's a lie and you know it's a lie, reject it. Get it as far away from you as possible. And know the real thing. Like I said before, like the bank teller knows real money, um, by the feel of handling the truth, the, the real thing all the time, it'll, it's easy to spot a fake. Know the Word of God so that when you hear a lie, it's easy to spot it. And always be on guard. And that's the warning of Paul to Timothy and to the church. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we're thankful this morning that you've given us the truth. And furthermore, we're also grateful for the warning about apostates and false teachers, that they'll be coming in and trying to deceive us. Lord, thank you for giving us the truth so that we might know what the lie is. And thank you for um, warning us and telling us that the lies are coming. Lord, we pray that we might always be vigilant. We pray that you will give strength to the elders as they uh, stand on guard in the assembly Uh, on behalf of the truth. And Lord, that we pray for all of us here, Lord, that we uh, might hold fast to the truth. Um, Lord, that we might all truly know you and love you and cling to you as our good shepherd who's always watching out for us. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and uh, we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.